It's a great day to live for Jesus. This is the In the Word podcast with Pastor Mike Grover, a chapter-by-chapter devotional journey through the New Testament where we will browse the background, discover the doctrine, and practice the principles of God's Word for us today. Today in the Word, we're over in Mark chapter number 16. And we're in the very last chapter of Mark's gospel. And the theme of this devotion today is simply this, failure's not final. Man, failure isn't final. If failure was final, I would be finished because there's so much failure, a lot of Fs there. I remember my wife's dad used to say, a faith that falters before the finish had a fatal flaw from the first. And so some good theology in there on the perseverance of the saints. But I saw this on a billboard once as I was driving down Interstate 10 in Jacksonville years ago, and it said, failure is not our undertaker, failure is our teacher. Now, this last chapter in Mark is very celebrative as a chapter. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man, that's central. That's the foundation of our faith. But you realize Jesus's resurrection appearance, man, was just bathed in grace in forgiveness, and in second chances, because his disciples had forsaken him. They had failed them. But what does he do in his resurrection appearance? He starts looking for them. So I'm going to begin reading this morning in Mark 16 in verse number one. It says here, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came to the grave at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher, the door of the tomb? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were afraid. And he said unto them, be not afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified? He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and they fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the residue, neither did they believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at meat, and he upbraided them. He rebuked them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So our background this morning is resurrection morning. It's resurrection morning. I love in verse two, it talks about before at the rising of the sun. You know, a lot of times we'll have a sunrise service and I think somehow we get it in our mind that Jesus rose with the sun. The reality is Jesus had risen while it was still dark, before the sun had ever come up. Now, the Jewish day began at six o'clock in the evening, ended, you know, and that's when it began. 
So as far as his resurrection, it was literally any time in the morning before the sunrise. We don't know exactly when he rose, but it was before the sunrise, and uh, they come to the tomb, and first they meet this, he calls him a young man, other places, an angel, and he tells them about the resurrection of Christ, and he tells them that he, here's the message of invitation, he's going to meet you in Galilee, let all the disciples know this. And then Jesus comes along and he begins to show himself alive. Now, by the way, there are 11 11 resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ, if you include the one from heaven where he appeared to Saul uh, in the book of Acts on the road to Damascus. So 11 times, but it says here that he first appeared to Mary Magdalene. Now, I want to say this, every appearance of Christ, man, it was an appearance of grace, He had been forsaken by most. He had been denied by Peter and really only defended by very few. And it seems like one of those who latched on in faith and never let go was Mary Magdalene. And he appears to Mary Magdalene, it says here, and it says she's the one he had cast seven demons out of her. Now, if you want the full narrative of that appearance, it's over in John chapter 20 and verses 11 through 18. So in verse 9, he appears to her. Then you come to verse 12, and it says he appeared to two more of them as they walked down the road. This account is found over in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 17. This is these two men that are walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus appeared to them, it says, in another form, and they didn't know who he was immediately. So here is Jesus. He's appearing, and and it's just resurrection morning. And I mean, man, Jesus fulfilling what he had told them, what he had done. But look at the response to their testimony as they shared with others that Jesus had appeared to them. Man, you would expect a response of joy and faith. Man, after all, Jesus had told them all many times that he would rise again, But that's not the reception their testimony got. What it got was unbelief. You look in verse 11, and as Mary went to the others and told them, the Bible says in verse 11, they believed not. Now, it says they were mourning, they were grieving. But in this emotional state, here's Mary basically telling them, Jesus did exactly what he told us. They didn't believe her, man. They just blew her off. Well, then Jesus appears to the others, these two men. You say, well, maybe they were discounting her testimony because in that day, a woman's testimony was very disregarded. It was a very chauvinistic culture. But now you got two men that he appears to, and they go to the disciples and tell them as well. And it says in verse 13, neither did they believe them. So man, what is this response? It's a response of unbelief. He appears in grace with his hands outstretched, invitation given in verse 7 that he's going to meet up with them in Galilee, but they don't believe. They don't believe. And I find this concerning and comforting. It's concerning because here are these men that are most closely associated with Jesus, and yet they don't believe. So my first thought is, what's the hope of the world if these who he appeared in person, didn't believe. So that's my concern. My comfort is this. Man, it just shows you in all of us, we have a heart that's prone to wander. You say, how is a heart prone to wander comforting? It's comforting to know in my experience of life, which is very imperfect as a follower of Christ, that I am not alone. 
that those who met and walked and talked and personally were Jesus Christ, hey, they even had moments of a struggle of faith. They had those times. And uh, I love that it says in Timothy, uh, though we believe not, he abides faithful because he cannot deny himself. So there's comfort in our times of struggle. There's comfort in our times of unbelief. And once again, our failure is not final or else we'd all be finished, right? So we see this response to their testimony of unbelief, but then Jesus now appears to them and they're going to get it right out of the mouth of Christ. And you just see Jesus's rebuke of them in verse 14. It said, afterward, he appeared to the 11 as they sat at meat and he rebuked them with their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Man, the rebuke of Jesus, it says there that he upbraided or he rebuked them. It says he rebuked them because of their unbelief and hardness of heart. And then it says, because they believed not them which had seen him. Now, I think there's something subtly important here. Jesus is rebuking people because they did not believe his what? His witnesses. They didn't believe those that were speaking on his behalf. So Jesus treated their unbelief of his witnesses as if it were the unbelief of his word himself. He didn't distinguish the fact that it was a third party that told them. He rebuked their unbelief. And I thought, man, and it's like what it says over in 2 Corinthians that God has sent us really as the representatives of Christ. Think about this. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And then it says this, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So God has committed to us the same word he gave to Jesus. Verse 20 says, now then, or because of this, we are ambassadors for Christ. And it says it's as though God did beseech or beg or plead with you by us. We pray you, we beg you, we plead with you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. So what does it teach there in 2 Corinthians 5 that God has committed to us the word of reconciliation that was first given to Christ and when we speak the gospel on Christ's behalf, it says it's as if he is speaking the word through us. So man, as witnesses of Jesus Christ, we have his authority in our witness. Not only that, and I think this is very important, is we have his proof as well. And the proof of our message is this, is that the Holy Spirit, along with the word we're given to them of the gospel, is confirming that word in others. The Holy Spirit's job is to confirm the message of Jesus Christ. So when I preach the gospel or we share our faith with others, man, they're not hearing it in a vacuum. It's just not left to how great I can or cannot communicate or how clear I was or how powerful and exciting I was. No, it's really the Holy Spirit at work uh, inside of them taking the word that is spoken and confirming that word to them. So Jesus treated their unbelief of his witnesses as if it was unbelief of he himself. The message of Christ 
carries the authority of Christ and the proof of Christ, and there's really no excuse for their unbelief. So he basically calls them out on their unbelief and his displeasure. But this is what I really get to, and this is kind of where we're really driving in the application now. He doesn't leave them in his rebuke. He doesn't rebuke them, stick the knife in their heart, leave them there bleeding and walk away. Man, we have a merciful and kind Savior because what he does, he rebukes them, but then he redirects them. He redirects them back on assignment, back on mission, and back toward the gospel because in verse number 15, it says right after he rebuked them, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So he immediately rebukes their unbelief of the witnesses, but then as soon as he does, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Man, even in their ragtag state of their unbelief, Jesus doesn't give up on them. He redirects them toward his purpose. I find that so encouraging today that even in my stumblings and even in my unbelief, of course, there comes the rebuke of Christ through his word and through his Holy Spirit to me and to my heart. But you know what? He doesn't leave me there. He redirects me toward my purpose. So the word for today is simply this. Failure is not final. Failure is not final. Jesus's purpose for us is not lost in our failure and it can be found again in the path of gospel ministry. Thank you for listening today to In the Word. Join us every Tuesday and Friday for new episodes as we continue our devotional journey through the New Testament.